Hello and welcome to the Conservative Crusader special. Conservative Chats is where I, GOP Josh, the host of the show, GOP Josh 20 on Twitter, sit down with a conservative leader, whether it be a local or state or national leader, to talk about politics and the world around us that I'm growing up in. So today we have State Representative Brian Stewart on the show. You can contact him, rep78 at ohiohouse.gov if you're in Ohio and you have a concern. That is rep, R-E-P, 78 at ohiohouse.gov if you have a concern. And I really hope you enjoy today's episode of Conservative Chats. This will not be a weekly thing, but hopefully I can do them more often because I love sitting down and having an interview with Representative Stewart. My name is UP Josh. This is Conservative Chat. And I'll be back in the outro to sign y'all off. Hello and welcome to the Conservative Crusader. My name is GOP Josh. Thank you for tuning in. Today we have an interview with a very important person in the state of Ohio. He is a state representative. He is a lawyer, an Iraq War veteran, a former county commissioner. He is a movie fan. He is the host of two podcasts, the Office Grunts podcast and the Brian Stewart podcast. Kind of just announced his name there. Representative Brian Stewart, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you having me, Josh. Excited. All right. Uh, so I just want to start with like a short brief of you Obviously, I just explained your career pretty much, but what you've done in the House, uh, your political beliefs, just give us a rundown. Sure. So, uh, you know, I got into politics after home from, uh, you know, a combat tour in Iraq. And uh, I was blessed to come home when, when uh, you know, friends I served with did not. And so, you know, that, that really has motivated me to, to give back and to try to make you know, my community a better place. And now, uh, you know, please have the opportunity to work to make Ohio a better place. And, uh, you know, I've been a, I've been a Republican and conservative for as long as I can remember. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, that experience overseas you know, made me say I was, I was never going to take this country for granted. And, uh, you know, we're blessed to be Americans and to, uh, blessed to be Ohioans. And, uh, I'm excited to, uh, be a part of, of, uh, moving the state forward. So, um, you know, things I've been working on in the house, you know, I come from a district where broadband internet, internet access is still a, a huge issue. Uh, we have a million Ohioans across Ohio that lack reliable access to the internet. And so, uh, I was very happy to be, uh, asked to be a joint sponsor for House Bill 2 that puts $250 million into connecting residential homes to the internet across the state. Uh, I've been involved in, uh, you know, we passed five bills of resolutions in the first six months, and uh, I introduced a bill to add party affiliation to the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals uh, races in the state because it's important that people know who they're voting for. Uh, this is information the voters want, and uh, that bill has been passed. It was signed by the governor, and so in 2022, uh, we will finally have uh, R&D on the ballot for our Ohio Supreme Court and Court of Appeals judges. All right. Well, thank you for that. And uh, I, I do want to say thank you for your service that you've did many things that I won't be able to do ever in my life. I could never serve. I could. So I really appreciate you doing that for the country and keeping us free. No, thank you, Josh. It's been it's uh, been my pleasure. Um, 
you know, it be, being uh, being in a war is uh, a difficult time, but uh, it, it really shaped a lot of who I am and made great friendships along the way and uh, proud to have been able to have the opportunity. Sam, as far as I understand, your podcast that I promoted in the beginning, the Office Grunts podcast, is actually with some of your service buddies. Is that right? You got it. Yeah, we, uh, we've... Uh, We've been veterans now for 15 years since we came home. We, we patrolled Baghdad together for a year and uh, basically text or call about every single day for the last 15 years. And then, uh, you know, like a lot of people started this pandemic uh, at home, right, with uh, not a lot of not a lot of things to do, not very many places to go. And uh, it started out as a way for us to kind of, uh, you know, blow off some steam and uh, have, have some of that social interaction that we weren't getting anywhere else. And so, yeah, we're now uh, 80 plus weekly episodes in talking about uh, our, our tagline is uh, uh, movies, life and whatever the heck we want. So we, we cover a lot. Yeah, well, uh, I was listening to the first episode, or not the first episode, but the most recent episode, trying to get prepared to ask you some questions. I couldn't think of any music, uh, movie questions before uh, I could have you on, but I, w- I was trying, but sure. I don't I don't watch a lot of movies. I mainly watch news, which is very depressing, to be honest, but, you know, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it's part of the territory. Yeah, I watch, I watch, uh, I watch movies to get away from the news, and uh, I, I think the more, the more involved I am, and uh, I guess kind of in some ways making the news the more i like to get away and uh enjoy a movie or two very understandable (laughs) okay so uh let's get into the politics now we've kind of uh gone over who you are so similar legislation to the texas abortion ban has been opposed proposed i'm sorry in the state of ohio do you support this legislation would you make any amendments to it and if so why so I'm 100% pro-life. I was endorsed by a high right to life when I was state rep, and um, I, I support ending abortion in Ohio, period. So um, there's always a lot of bills uh, introduced at the same time. Candidly, uh, sometimes you don't get uh, uh, the, the, the demands of your own bills and your own committee uh, work. Is sometimes you don't get everything reviewed in time to kind of co-sponsor every single thing that comes out. But um, I, I support the concept. I, I like what Texas did. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I think the Texas legislation is, is a workaround that I think even Texas would say is, is not their preferred approach. Um, we would prefer to be able to say that, you know, uh, we're not going to have abortion in our state. Uh, but they came up with kind of a creative way to, uh, you know, get around some legal challenges and sort of, uh, you know, make abortion providers think twice. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm supportive of any effort which results in less abortion and eventually no abortion happening in the state of Ohio. I completely agree with you there. Um, I, I think the Texas abortion ban was a, a clever way to do it, like you mentioned. I don't think it's the best way to do it, but uh, because of Roe v. Wade and other constitutional laws and federal laws, you can't really do much more than that. So kind of getting – I'm kind of – I threw these questions together at the same time so they're not all – completely in order. Sure. So I, I want to mm-hmm. talk about November 2nd, which was a few days ago at the time of this recording. Mike Carey beat the Democrat candidate in Ohio and um, Allison Russo, which is a colleague of yours uh, for state or not state representative, U.S. representative. Trump won this district, Ohio's 15th district, which is your uh, your district and mine uh, by 14 points. And Steve Sivers won it by 27. Uh, Mike Carey, who is now a congressman, won it by 16 points. What is this paired with the results of the Virginia and uh, and Virginia results with the Republicans landslide, pretty much not landslide, but Republicans winning in Virginia. 
What do you think this says about the 2022 midterms and the 2024 general election? I think it says in 2022, a red wave is coming. And uh, I'm thrilled to see it. I, I think that uh, it's pretty incredible the degree to which President Biden has gone completely underwater in just nine months. Uh, there was a poll out earlier this week that had, you know, 40, you know, almost 45 percent of Democrats wanted to see somebody else at the top of their ticket in 2024. And it's not hard to see why. Right. Uh, we are we are dealing with inflation. We are dealing with uh, a looming energy crisis. We are dealing with a, a supply shortage. You know, in 2020, you know, in the in, in the, the midst of the pandemic, we didn't have a supply shortage. Uh, and here we are in 2021 with, you know, bare shelves and, you know, six weeks, you know, waiting for deliveries. I mean, you know, President Biden has not done a good job. And you combine that with, uh, you know, a number of very unpopular left wing policies that are causing real pain at the kitchen table. Uh, it's not going to be a good environment for uh, the party that's in power. And Democrats have unified the control of the federal government right now. Uh, and still, you know, can't get anything passed, can't and can't address, you know, sort of some of these basic functions of government. And so, uh, I think Republicans are poised to do very, very well uh, in 2022. Obviously, I think we did very well this week, and uh, that coupled with, I think, the dissatisfaction. You know, if it's this bad for President Biden in November of his first year, my gosh, what's it going to look like? in the fall of his fourth year, right? So, you know, looking at 2024, it's a long way away, but uh, you, 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 I think any fair observer is going to say things are trending in the wrong direction for our country, and that means they're going to trend in the wrong direction for Democrats. And I think Republicans are, are, are well-positioned. We're right on the issues. We're right on the ideas. We recruit good candidates. And uh, when you do those things, you're going to set yourself up to have a very good chance of success. I agree with you. And you mentioned how unpopular President Biden's going to be when it comes to the fall of 2024. I think this shows that they're going to have to work a little harder within the Democratic caucus to pass this infrastructure deal that's super popular. And I'm saying that in air quotes like it's not like sarcastic. <laughs> right. They're going to have to work harder to work together as a caucus and prove that they're they can use their power to do what they want to do to even keep anyone elected that's the Democrat in 2024 when it comes to federal elections, like president. Um, so yeah, we, we well, agree. It, yeah. <laughs> well, and I think, I think also the, 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 the game is up when it comes to these like massive spending bills. Right. So when, when president Obama came into office, you know, you passed this like trillion dollar spending bill. Nobody really felt like that helped them. Right. I mean, it funded a lot of government programs, you know, you had a couple of other bridges. You'd see some signs along the road that said, you know, we sped up the timetable to do this infrastructure project. But, you know, when it comes to the like kitchen table, what is what is being done to help my family? I think people understand that these massive federal spending programs are, are basically propping up the bureaucracy, big government. They go to a lot of organizations that, you know, at the end of the day. Very little of that money seems to trickle down and get into the pockets or, or do much for the folks that are actually struggling. And so that's why I think despite this huge price tag and all this, this salesmanship on, on, on all these, you know, Biden stimulus bills, uh, there's not a clam, there, nobody's really clamoring for these things to pass. The only people that are clamoring to see these pass are the 
liberal interest groups that stand the most to gain from the funding. Uh, and I, and I was, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this too, Josh. Congratulations, Mike Carey. Um, you know, I was in that race for, for six, seven weeks and I told somebody the other day, you know, when we were running, you know, he's a competitor. I'm a, I'm a competitor. But, you know, from the get go, you know, we, 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 even we were running against each other. I said, you know, I think I kind of like this guy. And then, uh, you know, once we decided to step aside, uh, you know, got to know him better and said, I, I really do like this guy. We've become friends. Um, let, this, you know, Mike won by a very healthy margin. Uh, against a good candidate. You know, Alison Russo is the best candidate the Democrats have recruited in that seat for over a decade, uh, by far. And Mike still had uh, an incredible margin of victory uh, on par with, uh, you know, a congressman who sat there who'd been in that seat for, for a decade. So congrats to him. Happy for him and his family. I know he's going to do great things for our district. Yeah, and uh, I think actually, I don't remember the exact date that you pulled out for that race, but I actually got mail for your campaign, like a donor mail, on my birthday, because I've donated to Republican campaigns before, <laughs> and I read it, and I'm yeah. like, he dropped out. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. I just got this mail today, and I was thinking if that would have came just a few days earlier, maybe you would have had a better showing. But... <laughs> well, so fun story on that, Josh, and just so you a peek behind the curtain here. You know, we, uh, we were running very well. We had, uh, you know, some outside support lined up, but, you know, in a very short special election window like that, um, you know, we, we kind of needed to draw an inside straight. And so what I think we did well is, you know, we were able to kind of know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Uh, you know, we were, we were, we were one or two events away from having over a million dollars, uh, you know, to run with. Uh, but when those things didn't pan out, we, we, we realized that uh, wasn't going to be in anybody's interest to sort of uh, uh, tilt at, tilt at windmills. But um, that on, uh, we made the decision to get out on a Friday, uh, on the two days before on a Wednesday, my entire family, uh, several friends and all of my kids, uh, spent about four hours putting together a, uh, a fundraising mailing, uh, that, that, uh, dropped in the mail and then, uh, very quickly was, was uh, not of any use. So, yeah, the uh, uh, a good lesson for the kids. You know, politics ain't always the most glamorous business, and uh, <laughs> that was some interesting timing. Yeah, and uh, obviously a family affair there, which is a good thing. You got to keep your family close. Yeah. So uh, I, I do want to get back to President Biden. In August, we saw him fail a withdrawal from Afghanistan, causing the death of 13 Marines and hundreds of civilians. As an Iraq War veteran, do you think we should have withdrawn from Afghanistan? And if so, how could we have done it better? So I generally agree with, you know, the policy that, that President Trump had as well, which is that at some point uh, withdrawing from Afghanistan needed to happen. And I think that after 20 years of, of, of being in that country, uh we, we, we were certainly approaching a point at which, you know, withdrawing our forces, I think, could have been could have been the right move. But, Josh, that was based on three assumptions on my part. OK, one was that we were going to uh, make sure that we got every single American out, you know, before we would leave. Mm-hmm. Number two, that we would get every single Afghanistan, Afghanistan, uh, Afghani national who had put their own lives on the line to help us, that we would get them out as well. And number three, that we would at least give 
the you know Iraqi National Army and, and the existing government a a more than fighting chance to to hold the territory that we had to 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 keep the Taliban at bay and to preserve you know uh, control over over wide swaths of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he didn't do any of the three. He screwed up all three. And I think that has just really, you know, I, so, so in short, I, you know, it's not necessarily that drawing down our presence that would be issue. It's the way we did it. And it's the embarrassment of uh, that the we face on the world stage. I mean, you know, the fact we still have, you know, 200 Americans say they want to get out and can't. And another 250 on top of that, who are who are Americans who are in Afghanistan, but, but for what you know, for one reason or another, can't leave right now. I mean, that's that's disgraceful. And um, you know, to to also take steps as they did to basically hamstring, you know, the Iraqi nationals, you know, pulling away the the you know, pulling away the contractors that service the helicopters. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's absurd. And so the um, it, it, it's 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 a Foreign policy failure that is going to have very real consequences for a very long time because, you know, God forbid when we have to be in this situation again where we need a, we need a country to trust the United States to keep our word and to follow through on our commitments. Why would they? Why would they? And I think that's, you know, in addition to the short-term consequences here, the long-term implications for our reputation are significant. Yeah, and I completely agree. I remember reading a story here on the show that there was a three-year-old California boy who was in Afghanistan stranded after the 13 Marines were killed in that ISIS-K bombing. And it's just surreal because I'm, I'm a little older, but still I could not imagine being in that situation where the president failed at such ter- failed so terribly that you're stranded in a country at war. Well, to, and to do so, and the excuse being, well, we, we, we just we had to meet some arbitrary deadline that we had negotiated with the Taliban. I mean, it's absurd. I mean, the, the, the you know, whatever whatever agreements have been in place with the Taliban, you know, are contingent upon not taking over the entire country and threatening Americans. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it it's it's really, I think, you know, sometimes Americans' foreign policy is a, is a distant second, third, or fourth issues that, that folks care about, but, but not here. And I think it's because it really, um, the debacle undercut the entire rationale that Biden had for his presidency, right? Which is like, you know, oh, we're going to be the adults in the room, you know, the professionals are back, yada, 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 yada. And they're not. And I think that, you know, once people realize that, you know, Biden doesn't have basic competence on these issues, uh, then you start to take a pretty dim view of an awful lot of things that this administration is involved in. Yeah, I have to completely agree with you there. Um, Secretary Pompeo, if he could just come back and help negotiate that deal, maybe uh, save the people of Afghanistan, help us out there, maybe that'd help, but I doubt if it'd help at this point because of how terribly Biden failed. I think you're right. All right, so uh, back to some state house issues. Um, I, like I said, I'm kind of jumping around here. Sure. You have introduced legislation with Representative Adam Byrd of New Richmond, Ohio, to prevent teen drinking in the state of Ohio. What does this legislation do? Like, what what effect does it have? And do you think it will pass the House? Yeah. So to to just kind of clarify a little bit, I mean, 
the um, what we're really targeting is the issue of adults supplying alcohol to minors, right? Um, the it is currently illegal for adults to provide alcohol to minors, but the standard, what's called the mens rea standard, is very high. It is knowingly. It says that a per an adult shall not knowingly provide alcohol to minors. And so what you're seeing is folks are sort of gaming the Ohio Revised Code. And so you see these these teen drinking parties that are being hosted at the homes of adults with um, with the participation of, of these adults. And so you'll see, well, um, I didn't know there were teenagers in my basement uh, drinking. I didn't know that, uh, you know, they were, uh, uh, you know, there was sexual happening in the basement. I didn't know that there was, you know, folks drinking to access to the point that they needed to be hospitalized. And so what we're really trying to get at is, is where, uh, you know, these parents are, are, are being willful, are, are trying to willfully be uh, ignorant. And so they'll collect keys, they will stock the beer fridge, and then kind of turn a blind eye and pretend as if, well, I didn't know what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And so what our bill would do is simply change one word in the Ohio Revised Code. It would change the knowingly standard to a recklessly standard. Uh, We are not trying to criminalize, you know, adults who simply are unaware of what their kids are up to. We're not trying to penalize the, you know, single mom who comes home after a, a long shift at work and doesn't know that, you know, their their teenager, you know, has friends over and somebody brought, you know, beer to the basement. What we're trying to get at is this very real phenomenon, this very real occurrence where, you know, uh, adults are hosting teen drinking parties. There's no other way to put it. And uh, to, to make folks think very hard before they continue to uh, engage in this kind of behavior. Over 50% of sexual assaults that occur in Ohio have alcohol involved. Uh, You know, the stories that are being relayed to our office now as a result of this bill are unbelievable in terms of the number of teens that are, you know, you know, sexually assaulted, uh, involved in accidents or drunk driving or any, or other types of injuries and death. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, we're trying to raise some awareness here and to uh, cut back on this practice. Right. I think this is very important legislation. Obviously, as a teen myself, I've heard about these things going on, and I'm thinking, how, how is this legal? How are these parents that are allowing this to happen not being criminalized or not being punished, I should say? And uh, I think your legislation will truly help with that, and I hope it gets passed. I will contact my representative and see if he can lend a helping hand to help get that passed. We really appreciate it. It's uh, we, we've gotten some some, some uh, encouraging feedback so far. I think there's going to be a lot of groups that are interested in this bill, and uh, we're excited to see where it goes. All right. So Republicans have proposed a a new congressional map. I'm talking about the House map here because that's the one that was proposed as I was writing these questions. Because you are also in the mm-hmm. Ohio House. What are your thoughts right. on this map, and do you think it will be accepted? Uh, so I think, you know, I've, I've looked at the map from 500 feet like everybody else. I've not seen a lot of the, you know, granular detail to know kind of what the, the, the likely partisan split is on. Uh, I have that the, if you'd like to hear that right now. Sure, sure, sure. So this map will have 12 Republican likely districts, uh, two Democrat likely districts, and one tilt district. And this will eliminate Anthony Gonzalez's district, and this will eliminate 
Uh, Marcy Kaptur, I think, is her district will become like a Republican 29 lean. And um, oh, wow. Tim Ryan's will become, I think it's an R9. I'm not sure. Well, and I think that, um, candidly, I think, I mean, Tim Ryan's district's been trending Republican for the last 10 years anyway. Um, you know, I, I, I think that there is really no way to take politics out of the drawing of political legislative lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the U.S. Supreme Court has essentially said the same thing. There was a case not very long ago where they basically said, look, federal courts are not going to be empowered to uh, draw legislative lines or, or, or rewrite maps. Uh, this is an inherently non, non-justiciable political question. Um, you know, in Ohio, however, we had sort of, uh, you know, I didn't vote for it, but there was, you know, a constitutional amendment that said that, well, you know, we're going to take a process that's worked for, you know, a hundred years. And uh, because Republicans have started winning, now we think, now, now we call it gerrymandering and now we're going to, um, you know, throw the rules out. And so, you know, we came up with this sort of uh, cumbersome, overly complicated uh, process. And now we're all, you know, and now we have folks sort of sitting around in shock and amazement that it's resulted in a cumbersome, overly complicated process. <laughs> so um, I, I think that, uh, you know, this is a red state. This is a, this is a state, you know, where, Democrats have won, you know, outside of Sherrod Brown, they've not won a statewide race since 2008 with a D on the ballot. Uh, and so, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of performance art and political theater and gnashing of teeth. Uh, but at the end of the day, we'll, we'll end up with a map probably uh, uh, looks fairly close to the split that we have right now. Um, and, uh, you know, nobody like nobody likes change in, in, in politics like this. Uh, and so we're all sort of looking at, you know, whose district we're in and, and uh, you know, where where uh, where folks live. Uh, it's interesting. But I think that uh, these maps that have been, you know, introduced this week are, are, are almost certainly not the final version. Uh, but I think it is uh, an interesting start. All right. Yeah, I agree. I haven't read that exact uh, proposal that you're talking about that you didn't vote on for the uh, maps process, but I can tell by the way these maps are being drawn that it has to be extremely complicated. It has to be, uh, it has to rig against one side for some reason, and that's always going to happen in the maps because, like you said, it is a partisan process for partisan politics. So, I agree with you there. Right. All right, so uh, Governor Mike DeWine has started a Vax to School program, kind of like his Vax a Million program and uh, previously for the COVID vaccine. And the vaccine is now available for 5 to 11-year-olds to get the COVID vaccine, like I said. And what what is your opinion on this program? Do you think it's a good use of our tax dollars to get people vaccinated? What do you think? So I, I think everybody is going to have to make their own individual decision as to whether they want to get the COVID-19 vaccine or not. I think that's, uh, that's up to each Ohio family and they're going to do their own uh, analysis and come to their own decision. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a enormous fan of these uh, incentive programs uh, because I think generally those who want to get vaccinated are going to get vaccinated regardless of an incentive. And I just don't think there's a ton of evidence really out there. I mean, there's been several studies on this. I think the, the bulk of the studies have uh, 
uh, concluded that you know these these vaccine incentive programs are really not incentivizing you know reluctant people to get the vaccine. Um, so you know that being the case, you know um, you know uh, if I was governor, I probably wouldn't have this program. But I also you know look, the governor uh, has a lot of responsibility, and I think that um, he you know. Obviously, we've not agreed with every single decision, uh, but I think he is a good man who is trying to do uh, what he believes is right. And so I think that there is there's a lot of uh, let's do what we can do to keep people healthy and to uh, you know get us out of this pandemic. You know, at the end of the day, you know, one of the things I've been working on the most in the legislature is getting us back normal, getting schools reopened, getting in-person instruction getting festivals and businesses and everybody reopened and how best do we kind of get beyond this? So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly not my favorite, uh, government program. I don't think it's really going to move the needle a whole lot, but, um, that, uh, that's kind of where I am. All right. I agree with you on pretty much everything there. Um, so just one last question for the Ohioans out there who want to contact your office about something, contact you about something. How can they get a hold of you? Sure. So, uh, you know, my web page is at the Ohio House website. And, um, you know, uh, best way to reach us is by email, which is rep78 at ohiohouse.gov. Again, that is rep78 at ohiohouse.gov. Um, I'm also very active on social media. So, um, you know, you can follow what we're doing uh, by following me on Twitter at Brian Stewart OH. Again, that is at Brian Stewart OH. And then I've got a, uh, a, a political Facebook page where we sort of provide updates on what I'm working on, uh, which is facebook.com slash Brian Stewart, Ohio. All right. Thank you for that. Thank you for coming on. So that is R-E-P-7-8 at ohiohouse.gov, right? You got it. All right. Just want to make sure that was right for everyone out there who, because it is over Bluetooth, it doesn't sound the greatest, make sure they can clarify that and hear it right. So <laughs> uh, Mr. Stewart, thank, or Representative Stewart, is the proper term. Thank you for coming on the show today. Josh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for uh, being a, an advocate for the conservative cause and uh, Republican politics. And it's great to see you. Great to be on the show. Best wishes uh, with all your episodes ahead. All right. Thanks for coming on. This has been an episode of The Conservative Crusader. My name is GOP Josh. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you tune in tomorrow because we're doing daily episodes now. Don't know what we're going to talk about yet. But we'll get into that. Follow me on Twitter, GOP Josh 20. My name is GOP Josh. This has been the Conservative Crusader. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, GOP Josh here. I just want to say thank you to Brian Stewart for coming on the podcast. He didn't have to do that, and it was uh, an honor to have him on for my first ever interview on the show. If you want to send him some uh, thoughts about what's going on in the Ohio House. You can email him, rep78 at ohiohouse.gov, and check out his Twitter page, which is Brian Stewart OH, and that uh, that all will be in the description of this episode. My name is GOP Josh. If you want to contact me, josh at gopjosh.com. Thanks for tuning in. Send a voice message to anchor.fm slash the conservative crusader, and we'll be back on Monday. Peace.